tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. The sun is hanging in the sky, sinking low, and so am I. Pens that don't run out of ink, and the longest bridge I've ever crossed. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, good evening, everybody. As you can tell by the sound of my voice, if you have listened previously, this is Tony Slagle, uh, normally the co-host, but hosting tonight. Joined by our co-host, or host, normal host, Doug Cooper, and of course, our Humble, humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Good evening, Tapsters. And we're gathered tonight in the Vinegar Rune Saloon for the first time in quite a bit. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had some... three uh, weeks. Yeah, we've had some issues. Those rough times that hit everybody else's life, well, they hit us too. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we took a little, uh, little break. You wouldn't know because we've kept up with our posting of new episodes, but we've taken a little break mm, recording us, and... Yeah. We're gathered together tonight uh, to speak about the third studio album from, uh, I'm going to call her an Americana pioneer. I know she bristles at that label, but I think it's fitting. Most artists end up bristling at the titles that they get. Yes. I don't think that's a bad title, but I'm going to say. It's a good title, and it's Uh, very accurate. Yeah, and it's uh, Lucinda Williams in her 1988 self-titled album, Lucinda Williams. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and toss this right away to the person who picked this album and ask the question, uh, Doug. The question on everyone's mind is, why didn't you pick Car Wheels on a Gravel Road? <laughs> That's true. Everybody is asking that, yep. and um, I think this album is better. And I would say it's much better. I feel like Cartwheels on the Cartwheels on the trampoline. Um, We're a little rusty tonight, guys. Sorry. (laughs) I I just feel like that's the album for people with training wheels. They they came in late and they they needed some help. This is her breakthrough album. This is the album that captured me. So there are both intellectual reasons I chose this album, and there are also deep, deep emotional reasons I picked this album. it's fair to say, don't you think, after her two folkways albums, that this is the album where Lucinda Williams became Lucinda Williams. It is. I think yeah. so. Yeah. The thing that I will say about the writing on this album is that it's not self-conscious. 
And nope. so much that she did after this is so very self-conscious. It was like the the words just came out of her. This, uh, this, the writing on this album is what, if you had a sophisticated child, someone with the brain of an adult, but the, the, the worldview of, of, yeah. of a kid, yeah. you know, a six-year-old kid that's, or whatever age kids are when they run around naked in the sprinkler. <laughs> this is that because yeah. she is not self-conscious at all. There's no pretense. Everything is honest, and she's she's writing like the most vulnerable person in the world. Right. No affectations whatsoever right. on this album, and that's one of the reasons I deeply love it. And she's got a hell of a band backing her up. She has a great band, and, and it's her a up. band that I think uh, you know we we talk we've talked times before about the whole ten thousand hours thing. This is a band that played the songs on this particular album all the time live over and over again i mean it, it's they said uh i think griff morlix who who produced this and is kind of the uh, musical brains behind a lot of the stuff on the album he he said that this was so easy because i mean they didn't take very long to record this album because they knew it all it was like looking at the back of their hand because they yeah. played it so much which actually i mean again it was just because it's just I don't want to say tossed off because it, that's not really the... We don't say those kinds of things on this podcast, Jam. <laughs> but it's so different than anything that she did after this, where it was painstaking for her to, to create an album, and it, it shows. And this album really does have this genre de vie. It's just like they're having a great time it, playing it. Yeah, it, do, it does sound like that. And when you if you listen to the deluxe version of it, which we're not going to talk about tonight, but there's live Too versions. Late. Yeah. There's live well, I'm just going to say there's live versions on this on that and um the like the live versions of the of Passionate Kisses on that on that sound like the studio version. It's it's flawless sounding. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. Maybe slightly sped up. But uh, yeah, this is a band firing on all cylinders, mm -hmm. and, and this is when she becomes Lucinda Williams, exactly. And Lucinda Williams, the Lucinda Williams sound has a lot of Tom Petty in it. Yeah, that was not on the first two albums, right. and I don't know what happened. But well, she, she discovered Gerf, well Gerf Muller. Morlix discovered the twelve string guitar, I think, which really helps us. I think a lot of it here. has to do with who she were, moving to California and playing with that uh, that Paisley underground scene mm -hmm. out there. All those roots rockers out there. It was different than the roots scene in Austin. Austin's roots scene was much more sort of traditional uh, yeah. country, and that out there was a country infused with a with a dash of punk attitude, and uh, and I think that really. Um, plus, I mean, the year, the, the date, I mean, this is the eighties versus when she was in Austin, right. which was yeah. the seventies, but I think all of those bands, uh, you know, they all sort of, there's a similarity to their attitude and the way they approach this, this traditional music. They all, and, and almost to a, to a T, they all come from a huge, like vast understanding and knowledge of all the music that came before them. They're yeah. all really well learned in it when it or learned I mean, when it comes to the music <laughs> yet, of the 20th century. And, and yet, but I mean, I think like the bands like that were coming out of here, the Blasters, mm -hmm. X, the Long Riders, the Long Riders. I mean, there was just there that. Let's say the Long Riders. <laughs> what Brian Eno have to do with this, Jim? <laughs> yeah. In your Eno shirt, yeah, yeah, your Eno another shirt, great right now, yeah. shirt. Uh, <laughs> if he but, can't talk about Eno, he's got a like shoving in our face with a shirt. So. <laughs> I have to face both y'all tonight. Anyway, but yeah, there really was just something that was going on in LA at this time that was bringing traditional, 
I guess the, the punk ath- aesthetic to uh-huh. traditional country music, traditional even folk music. No, I agree, I agree with that. And the weird thing is, is all of those bands, almost another uh, to a T, if they were about eight years too early. And cl- I mean, you think about this album we're talking about tonight. It wasn't a huge success until much later. Right. And, and if this album had been released five years later, it would have been a monster. A it would have been. In the, well, yeah, that's what would... happened with uh, her other albums that came later. People were all into that. Now, yeah. I can remember forcing. <laughs> I've got a long history of forcing people to listen to stuff. <laughs> I remember forcing people to listen to this, and those same people were. Oh, we're all about the car and the gravel. A couple of what, was yeah. six years later or whatever yeah. it was. You're right. This came out too early. Maybe it's not too early. Maybe it was the thing that prodded other people to well, no, go in I, that I, direction. You're absolutely right. This is you can hear specific songs on this album. You can hear them influence other uh, the people who sort of were the stars of that genre once it yeah. became the the thing at the time. I mean, it you know, grunge killed everything, but it, it, there was a period in the early 90s when this kind of music was was really really big yeah she i call her the genre blender because you cannot pin her down you could before this album right but when this album came down came out i feel like there ought to be videos of a bunch of mad folk people getting upset like they did with bob dylan (laughs) or uh (laughs) well who was it we just did that Everybody was upset after they uh, Wilco. Uh, no, 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 T Rex, T Rex, and Wilco. Bowling. But it's uh, she made a she made a turn like that, and it, um, it it suits her so so well too. It, and I love music that isn't in line. Right. Where it's 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 like the kid going to the cafeteria from his classroom that the teacher cannot get him to stay on the little red line <laughs> because he just doesn't have the ability well, and she doesn't either and i mean she paid a high price she could have polished her sound for nashville and she absolutely refused right to. well this is a, this is we're talking about a person tonight who was kicked out of high school for refusing to say the pledge of allegiance so i mean this is somebody who's got a, a, a giant chip on her shoulder yeah about but she also has doing we, what people say you know so this might be a good time to kind of get into her history she was Born in Lake Charles, mm-hmm. Louisiana. Have you ever been there, Jim? I have been there. Uh, I haven't. I always wanted to go. I uh, played I poker there one time. Um, it's a very flat place. But her her <laughs> dad was uh, her dad was a a poet, and uh, he started out. This is I didn't realize this until today. He started off he as a biology major and he thought he was going to be a biology professor and then he went i think to the university of new mexico and changed to being an english huh. professor he's a lobo i think he was a lobo at one point yes and uh, so he became a english professor and he started writing poetry and and started to be kind of renowned and won all sorts of awards and everything then he but this is he, miller williams miller williams, miller williams the yeah. the third only the third person to read a poem at the inauguration he read the poem a poem right? at, twice he read the poem a poem at uh, clinton's second inauguration and the first no my my angelo did the first who's that <laughs> go ahead and write us <laughs> uh but i thought he, he did both of them but you're right no no she she did I, that i'll one. never forget that one that's the one that 
was played over and over again. He he did the second one. He was friends with Clinton, but I mean, Clinton had a poet read at both of his. But prior to that, I think Kennedy was the last president to have, or the first and really last president it. to have a poem read at his inauguration. Well, yeah. he also and he befriended uh, like she had poets and writers that would be in her, and her mom was a a pianist, I think, an amateur pianist. He got. Uh, custody of the kids when they divorced in the mid sixties. She, she had some mental issues. Yeah, actually, she was I think hospitalized a couple of times. And yeah, um, and she and Lucinda talks about having a bit of a you know a struggle with her relationship with her mom. Her dad, up until I want to say the album after this, she would send him her lyrics. Yeah, and get I don't think I think for uh, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, she stopped at that point. But up until that point, she would get his feedback. I mean, he was a huge influence on her, not just literarily, but he also got her into the Delta Blues mm-hmm. and and into classic, like Hank Williams, classic country, what we call classic country now. Well, yeah. and something that highly recommends him, in my in my opinion, is he didn't like the Doors at all. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think we all would agree. And on wasn't that. he friends with Charles Bukowski? Probably. He was friends with a lot of people, um, interesting people. I mean, he was a pretty big guy, and, and he was also, they were fairly nomadic because of his career. Yeah. Right. Bounced so they, the they went all up and down Highway, is it 20? She's got a, or maybe it's 10. She's got an album out. Yeah, it must be 10 because 20 turns into 10 up and oh. Anyway, she's, she has an album about her nomadic existence up and down that highway in the south from uh, Georgia to Texas. Well, it, it's yeah. it's impressive. She started evidently started writing songs at six. Yeah. And then really started writing songs when Highway 61 Revisited came out when she was 12. I mean, a 12-year-old hearing Dylan and going, oh, I really want to beat. I mean, that's kind of. That's unusual. That's unusual. That so yeah. I, I, one thing I noticed about. There is something similar about her father's poems and her songs. To find a poet, a modern poet, who's not embracing obscurity yeah. is really unusual. And, and his poems are straightforward, uh, just like her music. And uh, yeah. they they sound prosy, while at the same time, they, uh, they're they poetry. Right. But they, they, they don't sound... Uh, they don't have any of the structure or the. Well, yeah, one of the things the she analogies and all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. One of the things she does is she re- repeats a line, like it'll be like verse, 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 and then there'll be a line by itself. And there'll be a verse, 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 and a line by itself, and it kind of brings you back. Like where well, she repeats going? like the blues do without the same form. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's obviously an influence on her at least lyrically in the song structure, but the sound, I mean, she was, she was playing a lot of blues early on, mm-hmm. yeah. but that changed, uh, that changed as she progressed. Yeah. Um, well, the other, other thing I guess that helped in her sort of, when you were talking about genre, what'd you call her genre, genre blending or she's a genre blender. Yeah. yeah. Well, not only did, you know, her dad have that influence on her, but her mom actually had an influence on her and got her into folk Joan Baez and stuff like that. But she was, because she was bouncing around, they were bouncing around so many college campuses, she also heard a lot of 60s rock and roll as well. Yeah. Well, she um, said she wanted to sing like Joan Baez and uh, Judy Collins. Judy Collins, yeah. And she discovered that that wasn't her deal. (laughs) And that was nowhere near her deal, and I'm so glad it wasn't. And she heard 
Bobby Gentry. Ah, yeah. And then when she heard Bobby Gentry, she goes, oh, this is what I... And that doesn't make sense to me. It does to me. Bobby Gentry uh, was at least packaged. I don't know how much of it was true, but packaged as this sort of feminist... you know, woman who wasn't going to take crap from anybody when, you know, when her songs came no, out. The, right? the voice? No, I think the I attitude guess. probably. And, and Well, I don't know what Lucinda Williams heard in Bobby Gentry that, that made her think that she could do well, it. Well, I think it might have been that, I mean, her voice isn't necessarily that strong. No, it's not strong at all. Um, she sings a lot of covers that but other the, but, people have really <laughs> heard her sing in a song that Aretha Franklin did yeah. uh, today. And I was like, no, no, no. No, no like by Bobby Gentry, I don't think has the greatest song. No, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Uh, I, um, I said, why is Bobby Gentry singing a song that either, uh, Aretha Franklin already sang? Who yeah. did, uh, what song is her most famous, Jane? Uh, Bobby Jumping Off the Bridge, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, to Billy Joe. Yeah, oh, to Billy, yeah, Billy Joe. Yeah. Or Bobby jumping off the bridge. Another great tune. <laughs> yeah. And 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 uh, just to toss out, just to toss out a nod to another podcast. Anybody who wants to go down a rabbit hole and and understand the story of that particular song, uh, listen to Cocaine and Ryan says. I think there's a three part episode. On oh, that. really? Hey, one on Bobby Gentry, one on Tom T. Hall because I think he wrote the song. Yeah, and then one on uh, the. Pro- the, the guy who owned the label who signed her. It's fascinating listening huh. anyway. And you'll get to maybe understand a little bit about what Bobby Gentry re- represented to Lucinda Williams. And you'll get to hear what a podcast is supposed to sound like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good podcast. Yeah. Anyway, so she had all these, she was definitely influenced a lot by her father. There's, mm-hmm. You can't get away from that. And there's also seems to be a lot of heartache and it's not like a heartache, like, um, oh, I'm so sad this has happened to me. It's more like a resignation to me in a lot of her songs. And when she she seems easily heartbroken and very resilient. Yeah, and yeah. a big red sun's. You know what? That you know what that reminds me of? It's the tra- it's kind of a um, a Loretta tradition. Yeah, of being heartbroken but defiant at the same time. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's this sort of, and I think that's why she's probably seen as a as a icon of sort of feminist music is because yeah. she embraces that here we are three dudes talking about feminism but uh i feel very comfortable <laughs> talking about that uh, um, but no she embraces that sort of yeah it's okay to be it's okay to be vulnerable and understand that and be hurt but at the same time i'm not going to take any crap about it either so well you know or you got to move on yeah she she sings a lot of songs that fall in that category of Songs about women telling the guy that they're strong and they don't need him anymore and they're going to move on. The greatest one of those ever was uh, Believe by Cher, which is more appropriate for a 25-year-old woman than a 62-year-old woman. But basically telling the guy, I don't need you anymore. I don't need you anymore. There's a lot of songs uh, by women like that. Um, But I think that separates her at least on this album, she is. doesn't seem injured by it permanently. It's it's she's hurt but not injured. Huh? I didn't I didn't think about it that way. The w- the way that I it was doesn't take it, away her innocence and her well that childlike. Yes, that that's that's where I was going with this. It, it, it seems like that's what I was saying earlier. Is it, it seems like a resignation to it. It's like this is well, this is how this is how it happened, and which is really important for moving on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, speaking of moving on, we probably sound really ridiculous to a bunch of women right now. I want to apologize to all four women listening to this podcast. <laughs> so we, we're talking about her growing up. Uh, she ends up at the uh, University of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. if Was her dad there at the same time she was there? I don't, did he come uh, later? I don't know. That's a good question because yeah. he was—he's a professor. Was a professor he was there, I think he there. had two. Yeah, I think he had two stints there. Yeah, and I can't remember. I, I think he started he went the there. he started the Arkansas Press. Is that right? Yeah, wow. he was the guy who got that off the ground. Wow, University of Arkansas Press. Um, yeah, I, so she. But uh, Doug, how'd she do there? That wasn't her calling. No, it was not her calling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she didn't last long in college. That was not her. Her calling. I think she just didn't feel comfortable around all those hogs, and she moved to Austin, Texas, so she could be around steers. Before before we get to that, though, there's a little funny story. Um, She's living in. She actually lived in New Orleans before that for a little while, and uh, and went to Nashville to audition for Opryland in 1972, and she got the gig the gig to audition through a friend of her father's who was the bassist for Tom T. Hall of all people that we mentioned before. So she didn't get the gig, but she ended up staying sticking around Nashville long enough to get to, to spend a night in the county jail for possession of pot. <laughs> uh, so that's well, all. Well, that may be a lesson to you, young people out there. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, she did a she, state she, that hasn't legalized it. She <laughs> ended up uh, eventually in '74, I think, is when she moved to Austin. Yeah, she spent some time in Mississippi and, uh, like you said. Louisiana and uh, came she came to Austin. to Austin where she belongs. I yeah. I I have a huge prejudice. I already told Tony this, but when I hear this album, it reminds me so much of uh, Austin at that time. Yeah, it really it does. Sounds it reminds me of being in an outdoor venue. Yep, listening to this, I'm folk, I'm rock, I'm country mixture, and she epitomizes it. And I cannot help but have flashbacks yeah i mean i i used to the thing she used to be around so much that i didn't know who she was until after this album came out and uh i went to a music venue and she just was like right there at yeah. the table right across from me. i went holy crap this is lucinda williams yeah. and, and it, you know she sang backup on uh, yeah on, on beaver's, beaver's <laughs> album uh, that you the know, uh, album that wasn't really uh wasn't released nationally, but yeah, that's a great album. But she, you know, the reason one of the reasons she left was she wasn't. I mean, you guys are talking about her, and you knew who she was, but she wasn't getting a whole lot of do in Austin. I, I mean, wasn't as influential then. Well, she um, <laughs> she tells a story in her book about uh, playing like playing playing on the drag, yeah, and and getting promised a gig at the Hole in the Wall, and so she shows up and she notices that the her name isn't on the calendar. Wow. And so she talks to the manager and he's like, yeah, I changed my mind. I've got enough women this month. And and since, and, and told her to split, you know? Um, That's so different than Mike's because... He had notebooks of women. Yeah, the women... Well, the, the one that was running the... When I used to play there was, was a woman. She did all the booking and, yeah, she made sure... Yeah, maybe this guy got straightened out after that comment. But she, she ended up... she would What she would do because Austin... I mean, she would... This is kind of her story until she makes it. She's having trouble struggling making any money anywhere. She's kind of going back and forth between... She lived in Houston for a while. Yeah. And she would play in Houston. And I think... I want to say it's when she's in Houston that she gets she gets that Folkways deal and ends up moving to New York. 
because yeah, because she had a friend who had released an, a guy named Jeff Am- Ampolsk who released an album on Folksway called God Gun- God Guns and uh, God Guts and Guns. Oh yeah, and uh, you know that album? Amen. I know that album. Yeah. Amen. I got a t-shirt. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, you know, I bet if you contact uh, Folkways, they'll let you do an album. And so she did, and uh, and uh, she talks to um, the guy Mo Ash. I think he was the guy who was running at the time. It's owned by Smithsonian now, I think, right? Smithsonian Folkways. Yeah. But uh, he offers her 300 bucks to come cut an album. Wow. <laughs> and so Jeez. she does it. And it's called Ramblin'? It's called Ramblin'. It's released in 79, and it's there's not a single original song on it. It's all covers of old Delta Blues songs and country songs. And uh, and it doesn't sound at all anything like what we're listening to tonight. But... That's Malted Milk Blues um, by Lucinda Williams. And she went in the album, she's just called Lucinda on it as well, which is another thing. She's not Lucinda Williams, she's just Lucinda. Um, but anyway, it's it's all pretty sparse. And then she ends up... But she did get some respect from the, uh, the well, folky yeah. crowd. Oh, no, no, no. I think absolutely. I mean, I think people du- people in that scene really dug that album a lot. And then she has that lead belly thing where she plays a 12-string acoustic. Yeah. And, and she has such an unusual voice that I find immediately appealing. It's um, I was I was thinking about it today when I was listening to the album we're talking about again, um, and I don't know if it's if it's where she was raised or how she was raised or it's her accent. She's very round in her delivery, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like her, it, and it's it's unusual, it's unique, but it's uh, right. It's appealing the way she sings. She's got this roundness to her to her vocals and, and this is so stupid this is this is the kind of thing that they say on npr that drives me crazy so i'm gonna go ahead and say it but there's something authentic in the way her voice sounds well was authentic in the way her voice sounds i think that she affected that later but the way that she delivers this well, stuff by this that, album it wasn't yeah I, and i and i'll i'll piggyback on that i think one of the things that when people talk about, and I know again genres, but when people talk about the difference between something like the Lucinda Williams album we're talking about tonight and country music that was popular at the time, is the A word is authenticity. I think that's the real. The, the, I mean, the, the music sounds different as well, but there's also a lack of authenticity. Well, it doesn't sound like a commercial, right? Right. Yeah. So. It's it's like when you go to a restaurant like IHOP or chilies where they have to have food poppers let's have some sort of poppers (laughs) food everybody can eat there's nothing that's going to poke you there's Uh nothing that's too hot or nothing that's let's fry the hell out of an onion and And call it a yeah that's i I think that nashville sound is exactly the same as uh uh, food that's safe music that's safe let's let's stick with that well-tried chord progression that we're all comfortable with yeah yeah. And let's sing a song about cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, um, she she makes another album for Folkways, too. I mean, the, kind of the history of her early career, and maybe a later career. I don't know, I don't know that much about it. Happy Women Blues is a good title. That, yeah, that's the second album. But she she makes two albums for Folkways, and then she's she's not she's not with them anymore. But yeah, um, that album, uh, Happy Women Blues, um, 
That's Lafayette on that. That sounds that like a real human being singing a song. It does. Yeah. It's like a Wanda Jackson almost. Well, and um, yeah, that's a good point. And, and th- that album is a little bit different than the first one because there are originals on it. And she's starting to blend this sound she's coming up with, with that traditional sound on that album in a way that she didn't on her first album. And in a way that she completely sort of embraces on with the Cinder Williams album. But as I mentioned, she ends up moving to New York because she wants to be close to folkways. That's where they're based. And uh, she starts playing the, the folk clubs around there, um, in particular Gertie's Folk City. And she becomes, the reason I'm telling you this is kind of interesting, she becomes friends with a guy who runs, who owns the club. And uh, she's trying to get on the list to get a regular gig there. And he lets her fill in from time to time when people aren't playing. And one night, she gets off the stage and he goes, hey, Lucinda, come here. I want to introduce you to somebody. And he walks over and he goes, uh, this is this is Bobby Dylan. And introduces her to Bob Dylan. Um, and uh, she says she freaks out about it. She shakes his hand. Uh, it's just awestruck because he's, he's her he's hero. Bob Dylan. Yeah, who and he's be? Bob Dylan. And uh, so, obviously, he's not going to stick around for very long because he's Bob Dylan. So, she goes and and stations herself by the front door. So he'll have to walk by her on the way out. And, uh, he have, according to her, he leans over, gives her a small kiss on the cheek and says, uh, let's keep in touch. We're about to go on the road. And she's like, all right. And, uh, sure enough, two decades later, she ends up opening for Bob Dylan. (laughs) and Yeah. She, she, she said that, I guess they were, they were pretty old by then, but, she was a little disappointed. They thought she thought they'd all go hang out after. The she show said she didn't speak a word to him the yeah. entire time. I don't know. She opened for him for a while, and, and she said that everybody just went. Yeah, didn't back say to a their, word to him. Which, I, like, time, man, that's if, not, yeah. if I were Bob Dylan, I would be running for my hotel room too. And well, would you? I saw him, I walked out early, and Bob Dylan was as I was walking out of the. He was in his <laughs> bus leaving. I saw Bob Dylan leaving in his bus. And you left the show early? I left the show early because I had to meet people. Was he still playing when you left? No, he oh. was He was giving his encore going, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just hauled out. But, but I, can, I cannot imagine being Bob Dylan and having everybody come up and say the same <laughs> yeah. damn thing to you. I, You've I would, influenced me so much. Uh, but, you're uh, the voice of a generation. And, and, and he might be fun. I don't know. He might be okay to have a beer with. I can't imagine Van Morrison be much fun to hang out with. <laughs> the, personally. the thing I think the greatest moment in Bob Dylan's life was when he was about to play at the Yankee Stadium, and uh, he went to look at it just just uh-huh. on a little walk, and these cops pulled him over. Oh yeah, because someone called and said there's a suspicious looking character <laughs> walking, <laughs> reprobate walking, and he goes. So they pull him over. They have no idea who he is. And he goes, uh, well, well, I'm playing here tonight. And they go, yeah, okay, whatever. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Bob Dylan. And they don't know. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And he goes, you know, I wrote those songs. Answer my friend. <laughs> he goes, can you just, maybe you can just drive me to my manager. So they drive him to this party where his manager or somebody is, and they find out who he is. But. That's got to be one of the greatest moments of his life to finally not having someone tell him. recognize him. Oh, you've moved me so much, and you've you've changed so much. It's like your friend who uh, met uh, Robert Plant. Oh, yeah. He goes, 
<laughs> he said he oh, played with a band called Led Zeppelin. He goes, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> Spends all night talking to the guy. <laughs> La La's. I had no idea who he was. Yeah, right next take. to uh, Love Wheels. Yeah, great, great record store. Love yeah. Wheels. Um, so yeah, uh, what I guess the 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 big kind of change is she ends up moving to L.A. from Austin in '84 is 1984, I think. A big effect on her sound, as we talked about earlier, which makes this her breakthrough album. Yeah, when when She's this absorbing all that California, the meshing of the yeah, um, and I've, tradi- I've I've wanted to look up and see what album Tom Petty put out right before this one. To see if that would explain the the influence or how how wasn't it, it the one we did? No, it was wake me up. I've had enough. Okay, was it? Well, it must mm. uh, that's probably not it. <laughs> they, well, uh, but you know, she's she put out a cover album of all Tom a lot of Tom Petty songs, mm-hmm. which uh, nobody needs to listen to. But it just underscores this uh, influence, and she she opened for them for a while. Yeah, too. and he and evidently that nobody, was different. Nobody was paying attention to her, and he actually came out on stage and said to the crowd, "You need to pay attention to this person." And she's never she always loved him for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It, it sounds like that experience was much different than Bob Dylan and yeah. Van Morrison. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. When she got this band together that's on this album, Gurf Morlix, and who else is it, J.M.? Uh, well, Jim Lauderdale sings on he it. He sings backup, but he wasn't in the band, I don't think. Um, it was... Uh, well, you got uh, Johnny... Donald Lindley. Yeah, the, the, the drums. drums yeah. And uh, and then the guy, uh, Doug, was... Um, Johnny Cambotil. You know, you know who, you know what band he was in, Johnny Ciambati. I don't. He was in Clover. Really? Oh, really? He plays bass on My Aim Is True. <laughs> really? Wow. He's a bassist <laughs> in this band. He played bass on My Aim Is True. Yeah. Um, I had and, no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit of a, a connection, I guess. Um, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, baby. This is Venus Flytrap. Remember Chewbacca? Is that uh, bass in the pocket jam? <laughs> Can I have Not some at all. purple berries? Um, okay, are we doing connections? We got some, we got some juicy connections. Uh huh. I have nothing. I've got really. I've got another one, Doug. If you want me to go, please before you do. Please, I'm not Sk- the host. Skip Edwards. Who plays keyboards on this album? Hmm. He plays keys on American and Me. Is that, is right? that right? He's on the Steve Forbert album. You know, is that? I, I haven't thought of that, but they both got that Southern thing going on. There's some similarities. There's a lot of similarities. Uh, I w- just real quick because we often talk about connections and don't actually talk about why we're doing this. This is where we make connections to podcasts of albums we've done before just to show how kind of short, uh, small the musical universe is that there's and because unlike what we say about the songs these connections are really interesting yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> no you're right you're absolutely right um well so. she uh she has a connection with springsteen uh-huh they had dinner together and uh Patty and Bruce ended up seeing a background on one of her albums. Uh huh. And right. she was extremely excited about that. Gurf Morlix plays on this album. Yeah, what connection does he have? Actually, not very much, <laughs> except that he has played with some other guy, guys we've talked about. 
before and he's from he spent a lot of time in austin Gerf morris is an amazing guy he's an amazing guy an incredibly nice guy humble nice guy too i've met him a couple of times he spent a lot of time here in austin um well this isn't really a connection per se with an with uh with this album and an album we talked about but uh, she was married to Greg Souders from the Long Riders, and I've recommended a Long Riders album on one of our episodes, so I'll just throw that out there. Um, That's hanging by a thread there. <laughs> <laughs> They're married for about a year. But and I'm, I'm about uh, to be as bad as you. It, uh, go ahead. Rock Cooter? Oh, no, there is a Rock Cooter connection. What is that? Uh, the harmonica player. Yeah, that's right. Uh, played with on this later. album, played with Rock Cooter on the Crossroads film. Oh, soundtrack really? uh, the one about the karate yeah. kid karate became a kid. guitar do you, phenom yeah. do you know what else do you know what else that harmonica player is on <laughs> or what else he's known for well first of all many people who listen may know this maybe they don't jam knows this he's on the live in vegas pleasure barons album <laughs> you know pleasure barons Mo- oh, yeah. Mojo and uh, oh. Handsome Dick and those guys. Oh, yeah. um, well, yeah. he played for the theme song on Home Improvement. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. It's the theme song for Home Improvement as well. And so. Roseanne, or what's the one with the the couple that's both fat and they sit Oh, around? here is a connection. Yeah, here is a connection to not only a band we did, but another artist we did. He plays harmonica um, on songs in the soundtrack for La Bamba. And, oh, right. and of course we've got Los Lobos, Los Lobos and who played Buddy Holly in the film? Marshall Crenshaw. Marshall Crenshaw. There you go. Oh yeah. So we're cool. gonna we're making all the connections tonight. Maybe yes. we are connected. Man, we not have that many all guys been on this album before. either. So we've we've done a pretty good. We did a pretty good right. job of right. connect. But yeah, so it's kind of funny when the band gets together when she gets these guys playing in the band, they get five five bucks a gig. She gets gives is able to give each of them a dollar, and she gets to keep two. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. They're not making yeah. any money. Gerf Morlick is like she's being paid too no, much. No, no, no. Let me Gerf. just remind you: United States soccer team makes much less than the American men. This is early on. This is when no. she moved to L.A. Um, Gerf Morlick was thinking about leaving the band because he's like, I can't make any money doing this. He really liked it, but he can't make yeah. any money do it. And then, <laughs> rough trade comes a knocking. I guess we should talk before though. They she got a, a a deal with CBS to record some demos, and she essentially does that. She goes in and records uh, most, I think most, or if not all of the songs. She was given thirty five thousand dollars. Yeah, a lot of this album was yeah. done on that. Um, and who the guy who produced it was um, Eddie Henry Louis, who produced Blue, Joni Mitchell's Blue. Is that right? Did some Leonard Cohen and Neil Young albums. Um, and he brought in so that her band isn't on those demos. He brings in Terry Adams from RBQ, Garth Hudson from the band, and Henry Butler, a pianist, and that's who plays on these demos. And uh, the deal was that um, C- CBS Columbia, whoever it is, they said record these demos, and if we like them, we'll sign you. She plays them for him. They're like, "Well, this is way <laughs> too country for us. We're gonna yeah. pass." But you know what? We'll send it to our Nashville affiliate. See what they think. And it was too rock and roll too for them. Too rock and roll for them. So <laughs> they needed the Donnie Marie. They did. I'm so a little bit country. She um she ends up shopping this thing around and nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. So then yeah, enter enter Rough Trade. Rough Trade, which was a label out of the UK that was known for signing bands like the Smiths. And uh, I think uh 
later on, like Camper Van Beethoven was on Rough Trade, yeah, I right. think. And I think even uh, Steve Van Zandt was on Rough Trade at one point. But they were at, they were looking to get an inroad into the U.S. And so they were looking to sign artists. And um, and Robin Hurley contacts Lucinda Williams and says, "We love your voice. Would you like to do a record with us?" And she's like, "Are you kidding me?" Um, they never heard her live, play live. I, I'm assuming they heard the demos. I don't know why I'll say it, you know. But um, yeah, and as I had mentioned earlier, they they just went in and knocked knocked the stuff out. Uh, Gerf Morlix, who's this is the first producer credit he gets, and I think it's maybe a co-producer credit. I think there's two other people that helped produce the album. But um, he said that he was a, the big thing that he wanted to go for was he was a big fan of those early Jackson Brown albums. Huh. And he want like for every man, and he wanted mm-hmm. he wanted to yeah. go for that sound, and he also wanted this the album to be timeless. He's like the last thing I wanted to do was create an album that sounded like it was stuck in the 1980s, and I think it succeeded. This does not sound like uh, the 1980s. You know, no, it is true. Not. That's I call that timestamp. In fact, yeah. that's one of the things I have in my notes. Is like it does not sound like it came from this era because it, you know at that time <laughs> the thing they were doing with drums was just making that explosion sound. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that wasn't going on. He was a really really tight guy, and the uh, I mean there really wasn't a lot of effects on the guitars or anything. There was a lot of stuff they could have done to have made this more radio friendly, mm-hmm. and they and they didn't do it. Do you guys know why this was out of print for ten years? You could not find this album for 10 years or more. That's probably a legal deal. She had to re-release it herself. That All just right. is weird to me. That's very weird I, to I me. I just learned this week why people do so many remasteries. To get the money themselves? Yeah, I had no idea that that's... I said, why the hell is everybody remastering? I can't even tell the difference. It's to get out of... It's to get around the contract? Yeah. Yep. Huh. So Interesting. If you get the, yeah, I guess you get the, the source tapes, you can do whatever you want with them. So I I appreciate knowing that now because it makes me less angry that they're oh it's so remastered. <laughs> um, are we ready to talk about this album, guys? I Why think not? We are. Do yeah. we jam? Do you want to say anything about any of the other musicians? You mentioned Jim Lauderdale. Um, anyone else you want to talk about? Well, I mean, we, we we we've talked about Gerf Morlicks a little bit, but I, I I do think we need to give him a little bit more of his due. He is um, a phenomenal guitar player he's got a very distinctive uh style and uh it it shows very much on this album another thing he's really really good at is engineering Mm -hmm. um he is like a (laughs) choo-choo engineering an album uh he's he's great at at, um mixing an album and uh i just heard kind of like firsthand that he is very hands-on in the studio about how things sound he's also a heck of a i mean i've heard i've heard i have one of his albums he's a heck of a performer too yeah i mean he does not he's um i've seen him play with the wild seeds Mm -hmm. a couple of times and he's just um he is a a very seeds yeah uh, a, a consummate performer he he uh, when he takes a solo and stuff, I mean, he and John D. Graham playing guitar together is one of the funnest things you can you can actually see. Well, and he, if you look at his credits on this album, he's he's like one of those everyman. I mean, any yeah. stringed instrument, he's he's playing the steel, the dobro, the mandolin, yeah. both six and twelve strings. He plays the six string bass. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's just he, the. I, I don't think you can, and this is not to take anything away from Lucinda Williams, but I don't think you can uh, discount the partnership these two 
the two no, hand you in, can. in making this album. Yeah, and you've just never seen a guy who just enjoys music more than Gurf Morlicks. Yeah. Absolutely- I, I saw an interview with him, and uh, maybe it's just because he's old, but he sure seems pleasant. And and was not grasping at all for any credit. Yeah, he doesn't. He he's very behind the scenes, and um, even though he does when he performs, it's it's. I mean, he is fun to watch, and you mm-hmm. just watch his guitar player and go, oh, "I can do that, I can do that," and you're like, "No, I never have you, that feeling." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never get. That. Uh, he's I one of those that, uh, understated guitar players that, but yeah. And uh, the last guy I I, I want to talk about is um donald lindley we, we, we briefly mentioned him but he was he was kind of a texas drummer a staple for a lot of albums uh he also played with uh dave album uh oh. dave alvin uh and he played on one of my favorite albums of all time which i hope we're going to do at some point, you can King, pick it. You, you know, you got a choice still. Yeah, I know. You're, you're yeah. out of uh, timeout. Um, yeah. <laughs> King of California, which yeah. is a fantastic album, and uh, it's he plays much differently on that than he does on on this album. But um, yeah, he lived here for quite a while. Unfortunately, he died. Uh, he played on um, car wheels on a gravel road, and pretty soon after that, he died of lung cancer. Unfortunately. So he passed away in 1999. Uh, before we get to the album, I have one little bit of trivia that I think is kind of funny. So John uh, Ciambiati, or however you say his name, the bassist, the guy who was in Clover that was on Miami is True and his bassist on this album, he's a doctor because he's a di- doctor of chiropractic. He's a chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just thought that was interesting. Well, it's handy to have in your uh, on your tour. Especially if you're yeah. a bassist. That's a damn heavy instrument. Yeah. <laughs> Go out of alignment. All righty, boys. So first, uh, we're going to get into the album, Lucinda Williams, Lucinda Williams. First song on side one, and this was back when you had sides, still 1988. I just wanted to see you so bad. I really am happy that the organ got in there. Me too. That's a, it's fantastic. That's one the of the big big changes from the first two albums. Yeah. And it this sounds like a, a Tony power pop. It does. Well, so I, I got that in my I, notes. I, that's funny. <laughs> I I just think I was going to say our cliche that we always say when a song is like this, which is this is a great way to start this album. It off. is. It's so much fun. This song it's, is so it's, much fun. Well, it's a declaration. If you think about her fans that had the first two albums hearing this, they're going, "What?" Well, here's what's interesting. Um, so this was song. This song was started in the late '70s. She started writing this song in the late '70s, um, way before the Columbia deal and the demos uh, came out, because she had had a, a crush on some poet. Um, named Bruce Weigel, I think was his name, or Weigel. Got to start writing poetry. He um, 
<laughs> she was living in Houston. She went up to Little Rock to play a gig, and he was there the same night doing a poetry reading, and they kind of hooked up or whatever, and she got a crush on him. He said he was exactly the kind of guy she's looking for. He's the motorcycle you know, guy, guy, yeah. yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's just a, he's leather a jacket, leather you know. jacket, motorcycle guy. He's, you know, the, the, uh, rough and tumble guy with a heart of gold type of whatever. Um, and they kept in touch and this is why, this is what inspired the song. He was going to, she was living in Houston. He was going to be in San Antonio. He calls her up and says, Hey, I'm going to be in a conference in San Antonio. Can you come meet me there? And so she, oh, certainly she throws some stuff in a bag. She's expecting fireworks. She gets there and he says, by the way, I'm married and my wife's pregnant. <laughs> so she's like, she's like, well, this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. That's well, so, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, so this, she writes this song. Yeah, the, the, this song pretty much perfectly captures that exhilaration when you're like in a mm-hmm. new relationship and like mm-hmm. you'll do anything to go see whoever that person is. And uh, I, I still feel that way, even though my relationship's not <laughs> new, Jam. I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, you just want to see the, that person more than anything in the, in the world. But this this sounds like simple songwriting, but there's it's, it's not. She's going to a big hotel. She has to go to the seventh floor. Mm-hmm. She, well, and there's she, a double meaning to that too. Is there? Yeah, I would think so. Going to the seventh floor is like this guy's sending her to the moon type of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, she keeps getting smaller and smaller through this song. Yeah, yeah. And oh, that's interesting. It's so honest. It's. It's people yeah, don't it really is. people it's don't very, express very this kind of honesty, but she's just pathetic in love, and she's the she's hotel's not jaded big. yet. Yeah, the, um, everything she's just shrinking and, down. And I, and I think I think it's a, I think it's really kind of what's interesting about her songwriting at this point because it's it's not it's not this sort of um, and we I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's not this sort of beating on your chest defiance. She lets herself be in that place. No, it's it's, not, it's yeah, very human. Again, it's not self conscious. Very she human. Is, she she's channeling. She's not she's, protecting herself. At yeah, all. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think you hear lyrics of these women and like, I can have. I mean, they sing they sing the same as. Uh, blues guys back in the 60s yeah. like I can have 500 men and I've, I've got the best butt in the whole club and and this is the exact opposite of all that uh-huh. I don't think she mentions a button so. yeah it's not rap I like her um, you know who covered excuse me hip-hop. you know who covered this song uh, yes Emmylou Harris a connection with Rodney Crowell yeah they did a duet they do a lot together <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that yep Hmm. It was on their. It was a song on their duet album, "Traveling Kind." Oh, that's a good album. I forgot. I didn't know that album song was on that. But... It's a great song. Great it way is, to start. It is, it is a yeah. fantastic. And way. I love the drumming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and when you mentioned the organ, uh, it, I defy you to listen to the song and not be in a good mood every time the organ pops. And up. it's that's yeah. so true. All these songs, the, the subject matter is not necessarily I, happy. But you're sitting there going, yeah. I, it was funny. I was thinking about this as I was driving over here. This is going to be one of those albums where Doug talks about the lyrics and the subject matter being. A, I mean, it was some of the songs, the lyrics well, and I the music. That, but yeah. I, I think that's one of the things, especially with this song. It's like it. She's still got that optimism that's going. Like uh-huh. you say it's keep, it's still going. Yeah, but I, the, but the music's keeping that optimism up. Like that's I'm, a good point. Yeah, the music's driving that. Well, the, and it's her character too. I'm I'm going to perfectly explain that when we get to uh, 
a, a song later on. Okay. <laughs> so none of y'all need to worry about it. No, All right. right. We ready to move on to the next song? Yeah. Uh, this is a song about night uh, about vampires, right? The night's too long. But then it's not long enough. It's so hard not to sing along with these songs as they're playing. That <laughs> is. Um, this is another song. I said it's a trodden path. Um, it's another song about longing for something more and escaping and trying to reinvent yourself, and but still not finding that satisfaction. Well, what's interesting about it is it's in the third person, which is unusual for her songwriting from what I can tell. You know who it sounds like. Springsteen? Yep. Yep. It is definitely a story song. It like sounds it like Nebraska yeah. or yeah. the no, river wreck on the highway. I, I, I think I even said kind of springsteen in here. Really? Uh, <laughs> oh, did you write that as well? <laughs> yeah, very Springsteen. It is. It yeah. is. It's that it's that taking a character and um but right. I, I don't know how much Bruce puts in I mean I'm sure there's personal stuff in that, but this is this is her. I yeah. know, yeah, where, where, yeah, you know? where the guy's all, his shirt's all soaked with sweat. She is, and, <laughs> she's not trying to figure out what this is like. I mean, it, she's yeah. been there. Well, and, yeah. and I love, you mentioned before we started the song about the title, which is A Night's Too Long, but then it, the chorus says it's not long enough. And I think that is such a great image that this, this, this poor woman who kind of gives up on everything, hops in a rusted out car, Drives from Beaumont to wherever she's yeah. going. I'm and just, Beaumont's the perfect town to choose. It is the perfect <laughs> town to choose. And and my uh, whole life, they, they, I've always felt sorry for people that live in Beaumont. Have the I know. Largest. It was like when I lived in Mason, Texas, and San Angelo was the big. Uh, Beaumont does have the world's largest uh, fire hydrant, but I digress. Anyway. <laughs> That's, um, that doesn't make up for so much. <laughs> but, but what I love about it is it's this woman who's lonely. She's obviously moved someplace else to try to change her life, but she still finds herself being lonely. And so the night is is bad because it's when she's thinking about this stuff, except when she's out. And, and she bumps into bumps, the stranger. And she's yeah. having a good time. And then and it's like, sweaty. I don't want this ever to end. I just think that's a really cool sort of justification. It's really honest. Well, she, yeah. like she, like, here's the justification for me doing all of this. And, and she doesn't tell night. you about how she's feeling, how this lady's feeling. She, she's... Painting a picture for you, and to, and yeah. and the picture tells you. But yeah, she, but yeah, exactly. and she even gives her that sort of again that that uh, that strength of leaning up against the bar and watching what's going on after the experience with yeah, the dude. Yeah, the Nicole Corona um, in her hand. Yeah, uh, you know. So Patty Loveless recorded this and had a top twenty hit for it from it. And what's funny is that one line about uh, he presses up against her and his shirt's all soaked with sweat. Music Row in Nashville had a little trouble with that line. I mean, I don't think they made her change it, but they they bristled at it. They thought it was a little They're too so risque for the old. Uh, They're so funny. Yeah, I think what would what would happen if there were an Austin? What would Waylon do? He'd written. <laughs> He'd pull that gun out and shoot him by just looking at them numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. all right. We ready to move on to song number three? Abandoned. Yes, sir. All right, song number three, Abandoned. Abandoned. 
this is pretty heartbreaking song and it's another thing where you you know that she's pretty much experienced this you, you she can just tell that the guy is the guy's on his way his way out and, and she's she, calling him out yeah and she's like i'm not gonna stop you but i'm you know i'm also not gonna end this it's up to you and it yeah all she can do is wait i have a question for you is and I don't, this is going to sound, I don't mean this to sound like judgmental or anything. I just, I was thinking about this because there's songs on this album that to me seem almost too vulnerable for her voice, if that makes any sense. I think her voice sounds vulnerable, so I'm confused. Yeah, I have the same reaction that Doug, Doug has. Had. Yeah. Ricky Lee Jones may have a more vulnerable I guess, I guess voice, but it's... I don't have the history with this album that you guys do, so maybe it's the fact that the songs, like the a more up-tempo songs are the ones that appeal to me more, so it's difficult for me to there shift. There is... Okay, shift so you're the thinking that Lou Harris was singing this, you, you would be uh, more sympathetic? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I, I th- but I, but she's she does have kind of dis- a detached way of this song isn't it, this song doesn't it doesn't strike me as much as there's a song later on where i think her voice doesn't work but very well I, well but, I, I i might agree with that we might be talking about the same song but i think that the thing that she's got the, the thing that i like about her delivery on this song is that she's resigned to it yeah she's resigned that this is going to happen so she's not necessarily she's she's not crying yet it, it's just like I, this is gonna happen. I'm not bringing this up because I think her voice sounds bad. Because I don't. I mm. like this song. I think her voice sounds fine on it. I just think that there's song. You know, you say this, Doug. That there's songs where somebody's like, "This is what their voice is meant mm-hmm. for." And I think there's songs on this album. And the upbeat. And again, maybe it's just my experience with the album. The upbeat ones seem like that's where she's really able to do. With one exception that we'll get to later. Uh, that where she's really able to kind of hit hit the nail on the head with it. I think she hit the nail on the head with this one. Well, in my opinion. I have a long history with this album, and I remember which songs were rising to the mm-hmm. top, and this one was slow to rise. It was for, for me for too. Me. Yeah. So yeah. that may be part of what's going on. I don't know. I I, uh, I hear vulnerability in her voice, and I am. I don't know what is in my DNA. But when I hear these women sing and they're hurt, and I mean it is impactful but, on me. I want to go fix everything. But the thing that that I hear is, uh, like I was saying earlier, that, that she's resigned. She's resigned to it. Well, <laughs> but she's detached from it. She's not crying. Like she, she's still. It's sort of matter of fact. It's very I, matter of it's, fact. Like, this it's is like gonna she's happen. used to this it. Is, I'm used to, exactly. I'm yeah. used to it. I'm and I'm, I'm gonna, bitter and I'm well, jaded. You know, well, it's, I don't, it's I don't, funny. I don't, I don't think she's bitter. I uh, I think she's, I think it's funny because she was talking about the, is this going to happen to you're just going to do it to so, me again. So I um, full disclosure, I I listened to some of her um, her autobiography for preparing for this, and she talks about her marriage with Greg Souders, who was at this time, I guess it had, it had kind of fallen apart. And, um, he was the first guy that, um, she ever dated that was in the music business and he was gone all the time. She was the one that was used to being gone to do go tours and stuff. And so it was something that she was not used to. And I wonder if that's kind of what's, you yeah. know, you know, going on here. Yeah. Um, you know this feeling of hey, where, where's where's my where's my guy? You know, nobody writes songs about the time they dumped someone else. Right. 
or when they weren't available. Yeah. <laughs> you don't hear that stuff. I'm so glad that I don't so, you. Yeah. I know I keep talking about the people who covered these songs, but there's one. This this one's interesting. Any idea who, who, who covered the song? Rod Stewart. No. no. <laughs> uh, almost the same in terms of the weirdness of Rod Stewart covering a jellyfish song. The Lemonheads. Are you serious? Yeah. Really? I think Evan Dando has a has a thing for country music. So Evan Dando's going to the school my daughter's going to. He um or went to the school my he, daughter's going. Cuz he um he rec- they recorded the Lemonheads recorded a version of uh Nashville or Knoxville Girl. So I think huh. I think he's got like a he's got a little link. jonesing for Yeah, the, I think uh, he's got the Elvis Costello jonesing for being a country star type of thing. That's but, funny. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Well, that, Elvis uh, Costello is covered Lucinda Williams. I heard. No, they did. They sang together too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I yeah. I saw that on YouTube. That's pretty good. It is. It is. You need to post that. Tom. I will post that on the website. Okay. Song number four, and it's a good one. Big Red Sun Blues, which is not a blues. This is my third favorite on the album. <laughs> Your third favorite? And I, I I mean, I love it. So that doesn't mean... On, and what's, most, your, what's your favorite? I'm not telling you yet. We haven't gotten yeah. to it yet. We haven't gotten to it This yet. is my second favorite song on the album. It's it's one of my favorites on the album. I don't, I don't... I just remember when this song... The first time I heard this song, just really, really liking it. And this is like simple and fantastic songwriting. I, I am such a sucker for any song that has like that Spanish, a country song that has that Spanish flair going on yeah, to it. Yeah, and the inst- everything about this song is damn near perfect. The instrumentation of it, her her, her vocals, voice. Well, the, most, the background. This singing, is what her voice is for. It's kind of interesting that it, like every yes, it's another one. It's another one where the the, the verses or every mm-hmm. verse is a little bit different mm-hmm. in the instrumentation and uh, the thing. It's it's another song about being disaffected with, with and the this world. is the the mother of them all and this is yeah. where i had my great like the only thing she's got going for her is the the big red sun so what? I, I here's what i think um this is like she got what the the person that from the uh, the night's too long got what she wanted and then she realizes that it's not all it's cracked up to be and she's all you left me with was a big red sun to look at. Well, at the beginning, what's cool about this song, and this may be an accident or maybe on purpose. I like to think it's on purpose with the guidance of her poet father. But at the beginning of the song, she's talking to the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the end of the song, like at the beginning of the song, everything is going wrong. It's not right anymore. We can't, we, mm-hmm. she's talking to him. We can't seem to get along the way we did before. Okay, so at the beginning of the song, she's talking to the guy. At the end of the song, look out at the western sky, out over the open plains. God only knows why. This is all that remains. But give me one more promise and another kiss. And I guess the deal's still on, you big red sun. So 
She's talking to the sun yeah. or God or whatever the yeah. sunset re- represents her at oh, the end of the yeah. song. And it's like, here we yeah. go again. Okay, I'm not going to give up. Yeah. I'm going to go and Same do it again. And just like yeah. Fellini's greatest film. 69. Or, uh, no, Knights of uh, Cabrera. I can't speak Italian. Yeah. Where it's about that poor woman who's a prostitute and... Each time she meets some man, she thinks, oh, this is going to get me out of this deal. And she gets this guy, and he takes her to the river, pushes her in the river, steals her purse. And then the next guy treats her poorly. And then finally, at the end of the movie, she thinks she's about to get married, and the guy steals all her money, pushes her away, and leaves. And she's brokenhearted, and she starts walking back to town, and she gets caught up in that parade. Oh and yeah. She starts her her she's got a little tear that from her mascara, but she's her hope comes back and she starts getting happier and happier and then she joins the parade and she's forgotten everything behind. This song reminds me of that That's so much. This is uh This is her going through the whole heartbreak and then she's telling the sun, God, the universe, whatever. She's up for yeah. it again. Yep. Yeah. It's a brilliant. I love this song. It huh. is. It's a great song. It may song. be the best writing on the it, album. I don't it know. Is, it's fantastic. And again, just to repeat, I defy you to be in a bad mood listening to this song. You can't yeah. do it. You cannot. And she's heartbroken. <laughs> you cannot <laughs> listen to this song. Well, it's got the six-string bass makes an appearance. Is yeah. there a... You can't get depressed when a six-string bass comes into a... That's a heck... A that's a big pocket <laughs> in the six-string bass. Is that right? <laughs> I always said that about banjo, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a it's a great song. It's, it's it, fantastic. This, song. this is yeah. one it's of those that I used to had lyric. I used to have great deal of trouble listening to this song one time. I don't think I I don't I don't think I did. I think every time the song came on, I repeated it again. Yeah, it's yeah. so seductive. Yep. All right, uh, moving on to song number five on side one, and that is "Like a Rose." Just let it go That song is beautiful and has so much trouble coming out in this yep. album. I I have the exact same, uh, yeah, I have the exact same thoughts. It, it, it's like this song could have been done so much, but it almost needs a piano and uh a string section behind it. Even I think the fiddle. I think the fiddle's perfect. For I think the song. fiddle's beautiful on it, but I, I just think that there's just a way. She manipulates me a lot with that fiddle on this album. I, but again, I'm gonna. T- this is a song I was talking about with her voice. I agree I, with I, you. I, uh, I have I, the exact same. <laughs> I, I th- I, and again, I, this is no knock on her, but it's um, it it doesn't seem like it's what it's for. Is this song exactly? Like this. I think that her voice she, does not lend itself I, to this song. I'm going to tell you who she sounds like to me, and you're going to punch me when I say this. Nico, I'm not going to punch you. I think that's. I think that. What? 
I think Nico could have done this song. You know who else I think could have done this exactly. song? Ricky Lee Jones, and could have done it in with. Like, well, I just Lucinda. Lucinda. We talked about her voice. It's not. It's not the strongest voice or whatever. But it's a great voice. It, when it's it works, it's great. Voice, it's distinctive. Yeah. But here, it's sort of just. A, it's like a single yeah. tone, right? And uh, and it and to me, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. It the is. fiddle is beautiful, the melody is beautiful, and just the one knock. And I hate to say this, but the one knock on it is her voice just kind of takes me out of it. Yes, yeah. uh, well, I, I have the exact same reaction. I have uh, nothing in common with y'all on that. Okay, her okay. voice draws me in. Well, I'm a jackass. What can I say? <laughs> Well, I'm, I've been trying to avoid that all night. I don't know. We're talking about the rose in her hand and all. Just the way she here's a rose in my hand. It's, it is. It's like a Nico delivery. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't hear that move. My but my daughter. I, I'm, I'm not my daughter heard that. Are. Yeah, exactly. My daughter heard that when I was playing the song. I said, "Who's the sound like?" And she's like, "I don't know." I said, "Any Nico?" She's, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> yes." <laughs> That's weird. and my my daughter loves Nico, which I. Don't I mean, I'm like, yeah, that album, like Chelsea Girl, I think is a fine, it, it, but it is I, like I, a, Nico sounds like a android to me, <laughs> and I haven't seen that many androids. <laughs> <laughs> but she, anyway, I don't, I really don't, I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to disparage the song. I don't want to disparage the song or Lucinda, but it's like the um, least, about Arkansas it's, or Arkansas, but it's not the I most do. interesting. No song I mean, it, that she did. It took me album. a long time for this to come out from the. I remember the other, skipping through this. When it, I was, I, it it has a hard time I, coming out from the others. It does, and that's not fair because it, it's a good song. It's a I, good song. I don't, but I don't. I don't skip it. I don't feel like I need to skip it. I don't. This song doesn't come on, and I don't go. Oh, I listen to it. It's just. It just to me, it's good. It's just got. It's missing a little bit of something. Yeah, but and I kept saying all it it needs a piano and it needs a string section. Even though there's a bowed bass on it and there is a fiddle and the the violin on it, the the fiddle on it is beautiful. But yeah, I wouldn't want the strings to drown that out because that's one of my favorite things. I don't about want the strings song. on this album. Yeah. All right, uh, you boys ready for the last song on side one? Change the locks. Yep. Yep. All righty. Or there was Carrie Underwood talking about breaking headlights. There was this song. This song is immensely popular. Mm-hmm. It is. And I'm suspicious that it might be immensely popper. Popper? Popular. Popper is the guy. Yeah, because no. of the subject matter? <laughs> I think Carl it's immense. I was thinking of Popper from uh, Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol. He was the one that was trying to kiss that girl at the mistletoe anyway that's far from what we're talking about it, this is very popular with women i think it starts off really good and then i think it loses control when it starts talking about i changed the tracks that's I, I was thinking that today i said that's that doesn't work no that should have been passed and then i i changed the town i think name. the t- change name of the town works 
because it's so outrageous. But the tracks on the train—that's outrageous like, too, though. Changing the tracks. Yeah, yeah, but it's not the same kind of. Uh, so here, here's here's my take. When uh, when she was shopping the demos of this album around, she uh, one of the guys in Electra was listening to him, and he said, "I don't know what to do with this stuff. Some of these songs feel half written." There's no bridge in some of them. Mm-hmm. And he used this song as an example of a song that needed a bridge. It does need a bridge. And I agree with the guy. I, and she, I mean, she got the last laugh because, as you said, this song is hugely popular. But I agree with the guy. This song needs something to break it up. Yeah. It's got this weird sort of, hear me out, this weird sort of 12 Days of Christmas thing where everything builds right. up on the thing. No, it does. Then, it does. You know, You're right. That's very, that's um, very appropriate. Yeah. It's This happens in songwriting all the time where they get a little, they get a little tool yeah and they just okay i need a oh yeah i need a yeah i need a and b a is the tracks b is the train and they they play that game and usually i don't find that very interesting for very long and i think she carries it out for too long there's her voice that waver in her mm-hmm. voice works on this. I do. I, do. I, because, I, I agree with that. Yeah, because you don't know that is she really there is a vulnerability. It's not a pride thing. Well, it, she's well, trying to. Have she pride. can't be proud when she's talking about the guy. Just calls her up on the phone and she yeah. falls down on her knees because yeah. yeah. of the things he said. Yeah. That's yeah. that's really blatant honesty. But um, my Tony's right. It needs a break and yeah. a guitar break's not good enough no. it needs a bridge it needs a and bridge does everyone hear david grissom on this <laughs> oh yeah. this makes me this, yeah every time yeah. i hear this i think yeah. how can this not be david grissom that's funny uh, that being said though um i don't know what other i i don't know what other song he'd end the side with well i think I, he I could have you, made live, it a better song mm-hmm. this makes more sense live i, I imagine i and, imagine so here's the thing i don't like that I mean, we're better or worse. Being angry at you for dumping them, JM. Is that what you're about to say? No, that this ushered in a a genre of songwriting from the women's perspective that I <laughs> don't think needs to have happened. It's like. I so, am so um, angry. I believe, Doug, we've hit the point where Jam's going to start getting hate mail instead of us. <laughs> right. I, I would like to separate myself from. Yeah, uh, I, I, would, I would as well. I, I'm, I'm very interested to do with, but the, the thing is, not represent, okay, he doesn't the represent the viewpoints this song, of it, this is Vinyl Tap. <laughs> the thing about the song is, it sounds like she's almost scared, right? Like there is a little bit of like, I yeah. am. She's scared. She's angry. She's, she's angry. Hurt. But the only thing that you get. The songwriting after this that comes like that Carrie Underwood song, I smash the maybe he'll think next time he before he cheats. It's like it's just anger, and there's no like. I, I think guys have been writing songs like this for a long. What was it, <laughs> baby? If you leave me, I'm I'm gonna shoot you. You're never gonna. I mean, it's, it was Steve Miller song. You break in my heart, you <laughs> tore it apart. Or what does the Beatles have? Oh they yeah, got a the, song where uh, they're gonna kill her. Yeah. Happiness is a warm gun. No, no, no. No, that's about something else, Jam. (laughs) That that gun is not a gun, if you know what I mean. Uh, 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 Ladies and gentlemen, please get the children out of the room. (laughs) No, I I, I agree with Doug. I think that, um, I mean, the the line he pointed to about why is she changing the number on the phone? Right. It's because she, if he calls up, she's gonna, she's just sucked in again. Yeah, right. she's that's right. a defense she's mechanism. She's declaring herself yeah. too weak yeah. to have a. And well, that's the, the part where I said she's actually scared. Like, what's going to happen to her if she's 
yeah. starts yeah. I, going down this path again. Yeah, I mean, it's a... <laughs> It's a troubling song musically, I think. I mean, I, I just, uh, in general, I think it's... And it seems really, really long. It, well, that's because it does not have anything to break up the monotony. Uh, right. And, um, and whoever that guy was that told her that was... It needed it needed John Lennon's portion of the song to come yeah. in and change it or up. Or McCartney's. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. But again, as I said, she's gotten the last laugh. This song is... One of her most popular songs. It is, yeah. and I every time I've seen the fist her, pumper. every time I've seen her, it was like a the thing at the end where everybody encore. claps encore. Yeah, it was an encore in almost every uh, show I ever saw, and everybody. Like, yeah. Well, we we do have to just before we move on from the song, we do have to play this. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's Tom Petty covering the song. It's, it means something completely different. Yeah, does. He's got to get away that. from yeah. the girl. He's going to change yeah. the number on his phone yeah. so she, she won't bother him. <laughs> it's so different. And I don't think I've ever heard him sound as twangy vocally as that. He's like, ah, yeah. what, what the heck was that? That affectation was something Maybe else. Louisiana rain, but yeah, he's got that Louisiana rain. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Going, yeah. uh, that's cool. I've never heard that before. All righty. We flip her over, guys, and... We got a hit. Well, not for her, but we got a hit. Passionate Kisses. Her voice is again. The song's perfect for it. And you know, uh, I listened to Mary Chapin Carpenter's version uh-huh. today, and I've heard that before. And uh, it's such it's, a good song. It's it's really good when she does it. But this is a better version. It's significantly this is my version. better this is version. The, it's a great version. Mary Chapin Carpenter just doesn't have the the. Well, she has a twang. strong voice. She but has a she great doesn't strong have, voice, but yeah, she's not communicating to me like this does. Yeah, I, this song's so jangly. God, I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I mean, all that's missing. I was just showing it when we were playing it, showing hand claps. Yeah, all I need is hand claps. <laughs> and yeah. this this song was ranked number four hundred and thirty seven yeah. on Rolling Stone's five hundred greatest songs of all time. It's a fantastic song. It's another song about poor Greg, drummer for the Long Riders. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's just like what we're looking. I mean, it's encapsulates. Shouldn't I have that? Like, just, she's not going through this list of like badass things. Like, shouldn't I have all this and passionate kisses? Well, she, like, she does. Um, <laughs> this this strikes me. This this is what I hate is when people talk about what they deserve, and I think I think children think they deserve things and. They want them, and they're upset they don't get yeah. them. Adults know what they deserve, and they every morning they wake up and thank God that they haven't gotten anything they deserve. <laughs> so 
this is um I don't know. I, I, kinda, watch I, kinda, rock and roll I love the whole. I kind of th- look at it differently. She's listing all these things that yeah. you know, like this fantasy that she deserves. When really, what she wants it's just are the passionate no, that's yeah. Yeah. Like a, of all this stuff, but I, this I don't is think, what I want. This isn't a. This isn't someone thinking rationally and making a list. Of, <laughs> and the, the thing that gives it away is my favorite line on the whole album. Pins that don't run out of ink. Well, it is, it is annoying when your pen runs out of ink. I know, ink. and it's... Right. She's making all this list, and it's it's like she's making a list, and her pen quits working. <laughs> <laughs> she goes yeah. and finds another pen and goes, right. and pins that don't run out of ink. That's pretty funny. I love that. Um, yeah, that is a great th- I love this song. This song is so and great. The, 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 the reason I love it is because... Her voice is getting across this. This is just what I want. Why can't I have this? Right. And it's it, to me, you know, it's so feminine. But again, it's also there's a detachedness to it. Like she's not. Uh, one thing I love about her voice is it does seem a little bit. It does never goes into histrionics. She could have said, "And a pen that doesn't run out of ink." <laughs> you know, and you she know, doesn't do that. She's resigned to. Yeah. Shouldn't I have this? And she, 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 and and this is, I, I can explain this. This is the best way to explain this song. If her man walked in and started explaining, honey, you have a lot of things. To yeah. She would hate his guts and tear his eyes out. She goes, just listen to me. Don't try to fix everything. Right. That's yeah. exactly what this album is, and that's why I love it. Because yeah, I, I think women are absolutely fascinating, especially when they're being very womanish women. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the reasons I love this album. I it's, love this album. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very feminine, no, feminine album, and it's uh, you it, know, you know who it, it reminds me of a little bit. Chrissy Hine has that same kind of attitude. What do yeah. you know what? Yeah, do you know what? Oh, uh, listen to Williams said. Uh, uh-uh. she would love to rock like Chrissy Hine, but she can't. But no, but <laughs> yeah. they have that same attitude. Chrissy no, Hine is also just like unapologetic for being a certain way. And she's I like, agree. look, I, but she's not, she's not, um, she's not trying to be masculine. She's like, uh, right. No, right. she's, she's, she's very tough. powerful person. Yes. I, I rem- did we all go see that show together? Yes. Yeah. So I remember seeing her thinking, that's the most in charge person yeah. I have ever seen. Yeah. yeah. And she was completely in command and she did not lose one bit of her. Uh, femininity the yeah. whole right. time she was being that's right. what I mean that's what I mean about the Lucinda Williams is that same sort of uh, able to em- embrace that aspect of it but not be not be I've got a great body look at me I'm gonna and I'm talking about how look hot all I my am. pink and everything yeah. it's <clears throat> nothing that's that's a that's a uh, forgery that's Here, not the real thing it, right it, here's an interesting thing she said in her book about this song she said it's influenced significantly influenced by Joan Armitrading hmm. which I, she's another one that's pretty like, you know, she she does she, like Lucinda Williams says things about influences to me that never make sense well yeah. I yeah I think what well I think what happens is they go through some sort of filter and come out yeah well, Lucinda Joan, Williams she, like uh, Joan Artrain thing is I love it when you call me names which yeah you know what, what is that about anyway, so this is a one so what the one thing we didn't talk about even though we mentioned the version of it is Mary Chapin Carpenter records this in what 92 94. Right? 94. And uh, on her album, Come On, Come On. And it wins, it, it hits a top 10. It wins a uh, Grammy for Best Country Vocals. And <laughs> Lucinda Williams wins 
a Grammy for best country song for writing it. Is this a country song? Oh, I think it's a country song. I think it's, 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 I don't know what a country song is anymore. No, I think the phrasing of it is definitely a country song. Shouldn't I have this? (laughs) No, I think, I think it is. Um, Can you imagine uh, Loretto? Well, it's not. It's not that. I mean, it's the. It's the. It's the country that came out of that California scene. Yeah. That, yeah. All right. I don't yeah. know. I. I. I don't know why I, this isn't a rock and roll song. I, could you see the birds doing it on? Well, uh, it's. Sweetheart it's. Uh, it's too rock and roll for country and too country for rock and yeah. roll. Yeah. But. It's, but again, it. It spe- uh, This is a prime example to me of this album coming out too early because if this song had been released. In ninety two or ninety four, when the Mary Chapin Carpenter version was, it would have been a smash yep. hit. Yeah, it has nothing to do with who sang it. It has everything to do with the timing of when it was released. It seems like she doesn't have to think to write these songs. It seems like she's yeah. just expressing herself, and um, she's channeling her whatever. And it's that's such good songwriting when it sounds like you just are speaking your mind, right? And it turns into a song. Yeah. Reminds me of what Van Morrison does. So yeah, much. it really. That's the thing I kept thinking through this whole album. All right, we ready to move on to the next song, yep. guys? Which is "Am I Too Blue." This song really doesn't do a whole lot for me. You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. I, I I don't know what it is. It, it it's it's just it's just kind of boring to me. The lyrics are a little trite to me. I don't really. The guitar work is nice. Um, I like her voice quite a bit on it, but it just never so, moves me. Unlike the other slower ballady songs her voice is remarkable on this song it's perfect i think it's better i think think the steel oh the steel guitar on this song is so fantastic and and i love the acoustic guitar little flourishes oh yeah the guitar guitar acoustic guitar is fantastic this this is um something that despite the fact that we make such a big deal out of albums at the very beginning of this podcast when we first started Mm -hmm. there has been something happening to me where it's even more, I'm even more that way than I used to be, where I don't want to hear a song. I want to hear right. a full album. And this is one of the songs that is in the background. And right. just because it doesn't jump out at you doesn't obscure the fact that it's so important to be on the album and it's so helpful I, I think in making so. the, filling out and, the album. And here's the story behind it. It might help you maybe understand a little bit more. So when she was again Greg Souders, I'm bringing this up. When they were struggling, she she said she used to blame their struggles not on the fact that they were both never around, but because of her moods. Like she was depressed yeah. and she was down all the time. That's what this song is about. Am I too blue for you? Am I running you away because I'm just constantly think, but, yeah, okay? But that that's a sentiment that I think a lot of us have had. It's it's me. Right when you're when you're with someone and you're you're like oh it's me I'm, I've been sad and uh, well you didn't realize what's actually making you sad I don't know to me it's it's just a almost a cliche song and it 
And I'm not I'll, saying it need doesn't need to be on the album. I'm just saying it's like the it's probably the weakest song on the album. All right, then uh, moving right along to Crescent City. Yeah, that fiddle's so good. This song <laughs> is the one that made me fall in love with Lucinda Williams. This was the first song I ever heard by her, and I was totally blown away. It's almost a perfect song. The entry of that fiddle. Is the most, <laughs> that's the most in. effective yeah. fiddle entry well, of all time. Yeah. It's, it's just like someone, sh- it's like Cupid shot his Bow right through. Well, me. No, yeah, you're right because it, it it comes in and it's got that Cajun. There's that, a pause, that, but it's got yeah, that. Yeah, before that part of it hits that we just heard. There's that Cajun. I don't know what you call that. I asked Grace what it was called. My daughter that plays the violin. What that's called when a fiddle does that that kind of shuffle sound uh-huh, that yeah. they do in Zydeco <laughs> and Cajun music. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. That one moment where there's a pause and then it's like this crystal clear. It's it's exactly like a punch right in the heart. I who. Now, there's multiple people that suppo- that are listed as singing background vocals on this, but who does? Do we know who does the majority of the backing vocals? I'm guessing it's Jim Lauderdale because they sound great together. Yeah. yeah, they really do. This song and this song and uh, a song later on that we're going to talk about, they sound fantastic together when they sing. And this, this is go ahead, Jan. This this the thing about this song, and I don't know if this is really what it's about, but it's like, I mean, I. Grew up in a small town, or well, I spent four years in a small town in my when I was a kid in Mason, Texas, and I remember when we moved away from there and we'd still come back to Mason, Texas. I would just remember what my life was like there, and it would be like the parents would just you know they'd had a few, and they would like all of a sudden the parents were interested in something that you could do. Hey, Jonathan, play the Quezon song on piano or something, or Jonathan recite the first 10 presidents of the United States or can something. You still do that? <laughs> I'm not sure I can, but it's just like, and it's, it just reminded me so much like fireflies in yeah. the, in the, in the fields and all that sort of stuff. And you're, 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 you're playing werewolf comes out tonight or whatever. It's just a yeah. great, beautiful it's, it's, song. Did we say this was a song called Crescent City? I think so. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, New Orleans. Right. And I haven't been able to fit the time in where New Orleans became her hometown. No, she's going back to the Crescent City. Yeah, I know. She's, she's reliving. And to me, this is a, a love song, and it's a defiant love song about your hometown. And I don't know at what point in her life New Orleans was her hometown, but she sounds like she's completely... This song... It's, she lived in New Orleans in the early 70s. So that must have been a important part of her and, life. And here's, yeah. here's something interesting. Man- Mandeville um, is actually a, a hospital that's named after the same town that her mom actually stayed in. So when oh, she wow. said her mom was in Mandeville, she's not talking about a town. She's talking about... Well, it is a town. Yeah, but she's talking in the song yeah. about an institution. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I don't boohoo like... JM does, but the song I'm, I'm so manly, manly. But apparently, my testosterone level prevents me from being able to create tears. 
But this... <laughs> it's a great song. I, I told you that, that I was going to tell you my favorite song. It's either this or the next one. And it goes back and forth, and I can never... I can never decide. And both of them have the same effect on me. <laughs> but I, there was a time when I was living outside of Austin, and I was going through some depression. And I it was pretty close to the same time this album came out. But I can remember, it's, you're telling, she's doing the same thing. You're telling the depression, you think you got me now. Let's see how you do when you get to my town. And I'm surrounded by my friends yeah. and all my old haunts. You're gonna you're gonna buckle, right. and she's saying the exact same thing. Let's see how these blues do in the town. That uh, it's, it's so it's, wonderful. It's, it's so weird how this this song will take you back to something. It takes me back to right. Austin at the same time. This album, and, and that's the reason why the, the I mean, I you described this before. It's like a bucket of cold water being poured over my head, just going. And you know, it, and listen to it now. It makes me even sadder. Because that hometown I used to have is gone, is completely erased. I mean, Austin's not what it used to be, right? And I can't tell. I don't get sad anymore. But if I did, I can't say, "Oh, let's see how you do when we get to Austin." It's not there anymore. So, yeah. but you got you got to look for it. There's still places. Well, you can. Yeah, it's. Don't feel like it did <laughs> before, but uh, she, she's such a master with this song. And I love it when she's her and the background singers are proclaiming her brother knows where the best bars yeah. are. Yeah. It's so yeah. she's so defiant and so excited to be yeah. back home. I can yeah. see this song occurring to her all the way back home where she's leaving some place where she's been unhappy. Is this the one where she's going across the yeah. Pontchartrain train bridge? bridge? Yeah. When you go across that bridge, there's not a lot else to do but think. And, and drive. And, uh -huh. and hope you don't run out of gas. But you know that she, it's it's like a landmark. She goes, okay, I'm here. Uh, 26 get, miles more. When I right. get on the yeah. other side of this, it's yeah. my turf yeah. and you blues. Yeah, y'all, yeah. y'all might as well find a comfortable place in this swamp to sleep because you're staying here because yeah. you can't come with me. Yeah. Not where yeah. no, that's a fantastic song. This is a, this is one of the. I, I would put this in the top twenty songs ever written. It's and this is also a song that I have a hard time listening to once. It um yeah. one one criticism I have is the ending. It seems abrupt and unfinished at the end. Yeah, I'll agree with you. And uh. Doesn't yep. it doesn't just sort of fade out? It does, but it's um, the fiddle is sort of playing and it fades out, right? Yeah, it, that it's. I don't. I can't put my finger on why it seems abrupt and unfinished. I'll tell you what it is. There's there's a a song, a Rush song. I think it's called Different Strings. I may be getting it wrong, but there's a song that, on the album we talked about, um, Permanent Waves, where it fades out and it seems abrupt because it seems like something interesting is about to occur. And you don't mm -hmm. want that to stop. You want to. <laughs> yeah, you want the song to continue so you can it. hear it. Yeah. And I felt, I oddly enough, felt that way when I was listening to this song recently. And the end came up. I thought about that Rush song, and I thought, "This is this. You 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 want you don't want this to fade out right now. You no, want to keep right, going. Right. It's, it's yeah. That's it's that's a good point. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Sorry to bring up Rush. That's all right. I'm so in love with that song. I don't so care about anything Rush. anymore. What? We can do a pound rush on oh, the yeah. <laughs> hashtag. Someone say Neil Young. Uh, she did love Neil Young. <laughs> there we go. We got it. All right. 
All right, so uh, Doug's possible other favorite song, Side of the Road. This is the song with the most manipulative D minor <laughs> in the entire world. When she goes, when it drops and she goes yeah. only for a minute or two, I'm undone by that minor chord and her voice. And then her she voice jumps, but, again. And then she jumps back right into it. Like it's, it's a, it's only like two. I think it's only two beats that she goes at D minor and then it just jumps oh, back. But this just, is one of her favorite songs. Well, it should be. It yeah. should be. This is a it's then the marvelous that song. fiddle is it if I don't think it was played by a human being. I think it was played <laughs> does by he someone. Sound, does he sound that way when he plays with JJ Kale? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Musically it's the most interesting song too. And it's again, it's such a girl song. <laughs> It is. It's. Uh, I just need time alone. I mean, that oh, fiddle is just freaking heartbreaking, and uh, yeah. and she's and the thing about she's looking at a, she's looking at her ranch house, and she's coming up with this idea of yeah, an old couple that lives there, and how they've been together for years, and when they go to bed at night, she pulls down her hair, and she's she's just going through this whole deal. Based on the fact that there's just this ranch house there, yeah, yeah. and well, she's doing she's doing something. People don't write songs like this. They don't write about ambivalence where yeah, I want you right. and I don't want you, yeah, and I'm being honest about it and I'm confused. I want to be alone, like, and then then it's like, what else? What what else could I do? What else? Like the, the Big Red Sun song. Like what, this what? is one of the songs though that I can listen to and I hear. The bands that came after this album, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear this song yeah. influencing other bands and people who embrace this whole, you know, Americana sound right. going forward. This song has that; it's like a foundational tune, if you will. And I, I don't even know what I would—I would not even categorize it as something because it's too confusing to categorize. It. Well, it's definitely American. I mean, there's not. A well, lot. I mean, it's Americana, but when she was putting it out. That that wasn't a big deal. It, it wasn't, yeah. but that's my point. So in the early '90s, when all these other bands were like, that was the the it genre, and all right. these bands yeah. were signed. You yeah. can hear this song and what they were doing. That's right. Right. And the when this came out, everybody goes, "What do we do with this? What yeah. is this? What what track do we put See, it on?" She she makes. A, I just want to take a brief aside there. She makes a big point about that early, a lot about her early career. Nobody could like she's too country for her. Every one of those bands that was at doing that at this time had that same exact problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every band, I mean, Jason the Scorchers, yeah. we liked them, but did they, did they get an airplay? Nobody no. listened to them on the radio. Yeah. They didn't get. They didn't I mean, use- I do. I I thought about Jason and the Scorchers a lot. Yeah, to this same album. with the Long Riders, yeah. Green on Red. It all makes you bands. wish Green for those red, yeah. radio stations we hear about where they would have Dean Martin. And then they would have uh, Bob Dylan, yeah. or I mean, they were all yeah, over yeah. the place. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it's a great song. Okay, I'm, I don't know if I can go on. <laughs> really? Well, there's a I love there's a, that. Song. There's a price to pay, Doug. Yep. Find another one. 
quite like this any place and believe me it won't be easy to repair this time cause it's my heart and there's a This is the most country song on the album, and I wish they had countrified it a little bit more. I mean, her voice is achingly beautiful, but I wish there was like a pedal steel in there somehow that was just, it, it, it's like a Hank Williams song, and it just... It is it, like a Hank Williams song. And it, it just should add some more... It, you don't need the the toms coming in when it does. It, 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 you just could have kept the the snare with the, with the rim shot. It, this is my favorite vocals on the album. Is it? I love. I danced this song. The with vocals I danced, are great. I danced with my wife to this song. I, this song is, it's up there with one of my favorite songs on the album. I, I I'm a sucker for a waltz. I love I'm, this song. I I think its position on this album is so important, and it may just be me, but I'm devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm barely able. To continue driving or walking or whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And this song eases me out of what I had in a playful fashion. And uh, I, I appreciate but it a lot. It's It's got that, I mentioned this earlier, but this song in particular has got that Loretta Lynn sort of it does. attitude it does. about it. Does. It does, this, yeah. this, Hey, buddy, you broke my heart, but guess what? Yep. You're the one that's going to suffer. You're going to right. Fifth City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no, I, that's, that. why I, that's why it's so necessary for me after that other song. And but her it, voice is... It's remarkable on this song. Oh, their voice, everything is great except... I, there's it just should add some different instruments. I think it's um I think it's damn near perfect. I, I wouldn't change anything. I I'm fine with what they have on there, but I think I'd be much less interested in this song with someone else singing it. I think her voice does quite a bit to help me enjoy that's, this song. That's a good question. I think you might be right because the her vocal performance is just it's just and and it's and, half the story. Yeah, and that may why. be why it it makes sense not to have more instrumentation on it because it's just it's it's a simple waltz beat with her and tearing again, it up. I, I, I just, I'm, Loretta Lynn can do a lot. <laughs> I see uh, bare light bulbs uh-huh. around mm-hmm. a concrete uh-huh. dance floor. Every Fandango. time I, Fandango. Yeah, Fandango. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear this song and that's what I see. Yeah, no, and absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. Another wonderful number. Yep. All right. And the last song on the album, a cover if you will, I asked for water, and what did you do, guys? Got unleaded. It gave me gasoline. Oh, gasoline. That's Howlin' Wolf, right? <laughs> Chester Chester Burnett wrote it, but I think you're right. I think it's a Howlin' Wolf song. I think it's a Howlin' Wolf song. Sounds like a Howlin' Wolf song. I like the way she does this song. I think that it's um, the instrumentation is right and everything, but uh doesn't need to be on the album. I don't know if I agree with that sentiment as much as I think it doesn't need to end the album. 
I think its placement is very odd. Price to pay is should have been the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's an odd. It's an odd. It's almost like she's trying to remind people, like, hey, I'm I'm from I'm a blues person. Remember this. You know, there's no explanation. It's not a bad song. No, but I don't need it. I I don't need it on this album. Well, it stands out like a sore thumb. And I certainly don't need to end on that. Yes. It's so inappropriate. I agree with I, that. I, the subject matter matches, but this is this is not what she's for. And it's the price to pay. It's that it's like there was a bow on the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. someone untied the bow and poured shoved, gasoline on it. <laughs> someone yeah. shoved this into the box after it had been wrapped. Right. Um, right. But I don't. I don't despise it or. Uh, I would go to the bathroom if I was at her show and she started singing this. I would go to the bathroom. <laughs> See, I would do that for uh, the song that ends side two, but I feel like women would beat me up on the way to the bathroom, so I'd have to sit there and hold it. <laughs> well, if your wife was in prison, you wouldn't have to wait. Are you? She's not been in prison in a not while. for a while. Well, She's that's on good. early release. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> She should have passionate kisses. <laughs> All right, well, so that, that's the record. That is the record. It is. It, it's interesting when this album came out in '88, it didn't chart at all. Damn. And then when it was reissued in 2014, it reached number 39. <laughs> well, because people fell in love with Lucinda Williams at yeah. that point. They 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 knew. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I was playing this, my wife knows passionate kisses, but not because she heard it in 1988. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Wow. Well, that's the, have, have y'all she, ever gone to see her or anything like that? Well, we've been on a couple of those cruises where she, she was there. She's played now. She's they've been b- both of them, I think, or maybe the first one. What were they both post stroke? They might have both been post. So she had a stroke in twenty twenty. Yeah, and I think, I, I, think she, I saw her right after this album got released. Yeah, I, I used to see her a lot in Austin, yeah. and it was always with other people and things like that, and. Um, Oh, he's got a crack band. Amazing. You know, interesting timing. Uh, CBS This Morning ran a story on her on Sunday. I know. I watched um, that. Yeah. Which was interesting that we were doing this album. But um, she talks about how uh, she's gotten significantly better. Her only problem is she can't play the guitar right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, because of it. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's sad. But I'm glad she's continuing on. And I've, I've heard her perform a couple of times. And, and while it's not 100%, it's still good. It's it is interesting though that after this album she developed that kind of weird reputation of being a control freak and and being well she re-recorded uh, car wheels on a gravel road three times yeah she got so it's she like had a falling unmet- out so the first time she did it was with Gr- Gurf Morlix and she had a falling out with him he they haven't spoken since then is that right he, yeah he said in an I read an interview in the Austin American Statesman he said you know I I just started looking at my life and realized, unfortunately, I would just be happier if I wasn't dealing with her. Then the second time she recorded it was, was with Steve Earle, and he said it was one of the worst experiences of his <laughs> entire life. Yeah. And, and usually he's the worst experience in anyone's <laughs> life. Yeah. And then and then the um and then the third time was uh, Roy Bitten. <laughs> no. That's who produced it. Yeah, the oh, one that God. was released was Roy Bitten. Um there's a really interesting article in the New York Times that was done at at around the time that they were that Roy Bitten was recording it. And um Lucinda Williams is she's talking about a particular song and Charlie Sexton's on that album. 
And she's like, okay, can we, can we get Charlie Six to do this? And Warner Benton's like, I, the song doesn't really need that. She's like, no, no, let's do it. And then she's like, uh, what about what about the Dobro? Can we get the Dobro? Can you capo up the Dobro? She's like asking for all this weird stuff. I mean, she sounds just neurotic. And I think, and then, again, I'm not I'm not diagnosed or anything, but I think she's got a little bit of a like OCD or something, and it may, and it's difficult for her. She just starts to think that nothing is perfect. And she says now that she goes back and listens to this album we talked about tonight, and she hears all the imperfections of it, yeah. and she can't, she like she can't listen to it because that, which I think is kind of sad, you know. Well, her next her album after this, which has one of my favorites, Sweet Old World, Sweet Old yeah, World, Sweet Old it's just well, that's a connection. Yeah, that was on the uh, album we did by uh, <laughs> Amy Lou Harris. Yeah. Yeah. I kept trying to say Emily Harris, and I kept saying Lucinda Williams. But <laughs> Emily Harris covered that song. I, I will say, I don't know, it's hard to find. There's a two or three clips, but right after this album, she was on Austin City Limits. It's good. It's good, it's but good. Just, you can't, like, there's maybe only three songs from that performance that are that I've been able to yeah. see. Um, but it's really good. She but sounds, her hair's brown. It, it's, no, 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 that's a later one. That's oh, that's later. This oh, okay. is this eight, when she eighty nine or ninety. She's uh, yeah, she's on season fifteen, and uh, I think she's been on three times, maybe three or four times. But as she's playing this album, and just, she sounds fantastic. The band sounds great. Everything about it sounds really, really good. Well, she was on that uh, short live uh, PBS show called um, Sessions at West Fifty Seven. Mm-hmm. And she did a lot of the songs from. Was it uh, around this time? This is ninety. This is ninety nine. But she okay. had just like this amazing band behind her. And this is where I we were talking about this earlier. She just started becoming more and more self conscious. Like the things that she was she was writing were just stuff that I just nothing hit me. There was yeah. nothing that was going. Like some of the instrumentation was interesting, but there was just nothing that was. That well, she was it seems to about. me that it's really vital for her to not write with any self-awareness whatsoever just to well uh, and, and not again not to put too much emphasis on somebody when we're talking about the main artist here but i wonder how much gerf morlick's leaving the band like changed that dynamic mm-hmm. yeah you know? i mean you got it's like the same thing with uh you know robert plant being untethered from jimmy page i mean jimmy yeah. page robert plant definitely Focus Jimmy Page a lot. I mean, Jimmy Page hasn't done crap since yeah. that. And anyway, yeah. Well, good album, guys. This is uh, the time when we rate the album. So I'm going to ask you guys for two ratings. One is your critical rating, which is just based on your sort of factual understanding of the album, critics' understanding of the album. And the second one will be your. Um, your personal rating, i.e., regardless of all that stuff, how often will you listen to it? What what do you give it from that point? So I'm going to go to you, Jam, first, since you didn't pick it. I'm going to go with my cold-hearted critics rating first. Uh, I'm going to give it a four zero, and that might be a little bit surprising. I'm not sure this is the. Well, I was going to say it's not the best introduction to Lucinda Williams, but that, that's not right. This is a very good introduction to Lucinda Williams as a songwriter. And as a, you know, the, the musicianship is really good on this. I think this album suffers a little bit from production. I think the songs sound a little too homogenous. It's like the, the ballads are in one, done one way and the up-tempo songs are done another way. 
I wish there was a little bit more as a critic. I wish they were a little bit more, uh, a little bit difference in the production. There's like no real sheen to it. My personal rating, it's going to be really nitpicky. I have to say that Lucinda Williams kind of fell off my radar for a while, for a long time. Followed her until Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, and then I just went, why is everybody so enamored with her now? Like, she's done so many, she's done two albums that are much better than this one. So it was nice to come back and listen to this album. I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to think differently about her, and I think this is a great, if, if you're really into songwriting, like sparse production, this is a, a great album to listen to. Um, it's it's much better than I remember it being. Gaining an appreciation for her, like I, as a songwriter, that I didn't have before. So personally, I'm giving it up four or five. Well, cons- just real quick to comment on that, considering two people made top twenty singles off of songs <laughs> on this album, I think songwriter is yeah, just, she knows what she's doing around a, on a, with a notebook. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Jam. I'm gonna do mine next, and then we'll go with Doug since he picked the album. I. I have grown up with a bias towards female artists that I regret having because I've because this podcast I've realized I've missed out on a lot of stuff. It wasn't listening to this album that made me realize that I'd missed out on listening to Lucinda. I think I told you guys I was listening to something another album we were doing and uh, I was on Amazon and it started streaming some other songs and this song came up by a female artist. I was like, oh, what is this? And I looked and it was Lucinda Williams. I was like, this is a great song. And then a couple of other songs, same thing. It was her again. And I started thinking, boy, have I really sort of not done justice to this person. That being said, I loved this. this I loved listening to this album. This album really surprised me at how much I, I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it a lot. So I'm going to give my personal rating first. I'm going to give it a 4-3. Um, I, I will listen to this album again. I, I, I'm going to have a tough time not listening to certain songs when I walk out the door here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, great. And then critics, I, I think it's, there, there's songs on here that I, that I think are not well placed. We talked about the last song on the album, the, um, the blues cover, um, not being a song that really is well placed. That being said, and I think some of the some of the ballads fall a little flat. This is a I think this was a monumental album for what it stood for. It was it's a it's an album that's announced to everybody. Hey, I'm Lucinda Williams, and I, I'm what I'm doing matters. Not to sound too over whatever, but so because of that, I'm going to give it a four or five. Doug, all right, my my critics critics thing is hard because I don't know how to measure how much this changed everything after it came out. I'm not in a position where I can know that. That's because you didn't listen to music after 1988. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's I, I just don't have the yeah. There's that's part of it. Anyway, so I, critics, I give it a four or five. My personal rating, which is highly subjective, which is why we do that so we can free ourselves for our critics' rating. I love the cover of this album, where it looks like she's trying to get something off her jacket. It makes no sense to choose this photograph, but it represents her so perfectly as this unselfconscious person want, making her way through the world and having a lot of bad bad instances as she makes making her way. The world through, making the way through the world today takes everything you got. I know, and you need a place like the Vinegar Saloon where everybody knows your name. <laughs> but 
I'm a sucker for this album. I give it a four eight for my personal rating, and the reason it's not higher is because there's just a couple of songs on here that bring it down a little bit in my estimation. But if if you haven't heard this album, you are ripping yourself off if you don't go and and look it up. Lucinda Williams by Lucinda Williams. Uh, like everybody, her third album is uh, named after herself. All right. We don't do that very often. Name the third album you put out after yourself. Uh, no, you know, it's funny. A uh, couple of bands that I like, the Derailers and BR549, both of them had their name and their title. Like One of them was Here Come the Derailers, and the other one is, I think, This is BR549, after their fourth or fifth album. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. They got a major label deal in that set. Their debut on a major label was that. Anyway, okay. Oh, yeah, thanks, Doug. Uh, that was... Uh, uh, that seems so perfunctory. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Doug. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Blah, 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 Doug, blah. Doug, thanks for that. Uh, it was a good pick. I appreciate it. Um, I learned something about myself. So we've come to the point of the podcast where we like to uh, cater to our younger listeners. And for that, we go to our the youngest <laughs> member of This Is Vinyl Tap. <laughs> By a matter of months. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Slagle. Uh, who's got his ear to the ground, knowing what the kids are listening to. So, Tony, do you have a recommendation for us today? I have a fantastic recommendation. Um, I was holding this off for maybe another another time, but I think this is perfect because the lead singer of this band also has a reputation for being a little difficult, a little hard-headed, a little <laughs> unpleasant sometimes, much as Lucinda Williams has developed that. I am going to recommend the songs of... Uh, I'm sorry, the name of the album is The Day of Doug... It's the Songs of Doug Psalm. It's the Sunvolt album that was just released. It's not an album we would likely do because it's a tribute album. We don't normally do tribute albums. But this very well may be the best thing this band has done since their debut. This album is amazing. It's just fantastic. I'm going to play you Sometimes You've Got to Stop Chasing Rainbows. Okay, I want to play one more song. I want to play Float Away. So I don't know if that's too rock and roll for country or too country for rock and roll, but that album is literally one of the best things I've bought in years. It's fantastic. Day of Doug by Sunvolt. Highly, 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 highly recommend. Great. Who's who's, who's Doug Psalm? Who's Doug Psalm? <laughs> well, he was uh, he was in the Sir Douglas Quintet. He was in the Texas Tornadoes. He is a Texas, San Antonio, Texas songwriter of the highest degree, who is very respected throughout the state. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's a child the, prodigy on violin and pedal steel. He's the soul of Texas music. And he say. passed away about like 20 years ago or so. Yeah, and he looked the same the whole time he was alive. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you for that recommendation, Tony. And I want to remind all our loyal listeners that we have a contest going on right now where we are trying to come up with a new tagline for our podcast. Our old tagline was short talks about long players, but we just did another podcast where I think we are twice as long as the album that we're talking about. So if you could please send us your submission for a new tagline and we choose your new tagline, we will give you a trucker's hat or a t-shirt with the new This Is Vinyl Tap tagline on it. You can wear it with pride with another episode of This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. You can also reach us via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl, or you can visit our Facebook group page if you're so inclined. And if you're old school like I am, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. But of course, for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our website. There you'll find links to our past episodes and pictures and videos about things we've mentioned on the episode. Next week, we'll be looking at an album by a Canadian group that doesn't necessarily sound Canadian, Blue Rodeo, and their album, Five Days in July. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, and we just want to see you so bad. <laughs>